Hello and uh, welcome to Cut and Splice. This is Gil. And this is Matt. And this is Jason. And today uh, we're going to be discussing uh, the Paddingtons, uh, the Paddington uh, 1 and 2. I've heard about this movie, the first one, then the second one. I, I, I've There was all the buzz about them being very, very highly reviewed, especially once the second one came out and was even more highly reviewed than the first one. Uh, that I, I found that interesting, but never got around to watching either of them. Uh, so I thought it would be, again, a change of pace for us to do something uh, a little lighter and different, just to approach another aspect of the cinematic universe, a little corner where these movies are occupying that that I thought might be interesting. And, uh, and because I felt like Paddington 2, I, I think for a period of time was... Uh, um, famously known for being the best reviewed movie of all time for a certain period until enough time has passed and enough people saw it and then it I can brought down like just a tinsy bit. But yes, it's basically considered like an all-time great if you would consider like the reviews. <laughs> so that's uh, so I thought I thought that it it did make sense to watch both of them uh, just to see exactly what's going on there um, and uh, and just approach it as as a phenomenon essentially. And what's our reactions to it? Uh, so that said, uh, Matt, you said that you saw the first one uh, at an earlier point, right? Uh, yeah, I saw it with my uh, uh, cheating B-word of an ex-girlfriend back when we were together. And we thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed the first one. Not not to make that a politically incorrect statement or anything, but uh, just, just being honest about the you know, context in which I saw it. Um, no, I, I mean, it It was, I mean, it, as far as I'm concerned, uh, geez, it came out in 2014. So almost eight years. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not exactly somebody who watches a lot of kids, kids movies or movies that are even kid friendly. But it was one of the better kid movies that I saw. I I, uh, I I think that it's infinitely better than some of the stuff that came out of like the How How to Train Your Dragon series and so on and so forth. It's it's just fun. I mean, yeah, there were some really dumb moments, but it, it's just cute. It's funny. Uh, the the actors are pretty good, and you know, why not give credit where credit is due? It's it's a cute, fun, funny movie. Yeah. How about you, Jason? As far as like an overall reaction to the sort of like the the tone that the movies are hitting, did it um, fall for you the same way as Matt? Or? I, I was really happy that you wanted to do this movie, uh, watch this and do a podcast about it because, um, you know, they, they talk about like, um, this like weird phenomenon in life when like things come in threes or like when, um, something's on your mind and then all of a sudden you start seeing it all the time, you know, or like, like you never think about a certain car or a certain thing. And then you start thinking about possibly buying one and you start seeing them everywhere you know, or something like that. Um, just these weird little things like that in life. Uh, I have a good friend who told me that I needed to see Paddington. Uh, he said it was uh, far better than I thought it was going to be. And that the sequel, for some reason, was considered like one of the best movies. Um, and that he thought the first one was a little better, but he did really like the second one. He just said I should check it out. And then you said something, and then all of a sudden, um, I went and saw that the new Nicolas Cage movie, The uh, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And that's a movie about a movie star talking about movies a lot and stuff like that. And they mentioned Paddington, too. It's, it's kind of a plot point, actually, but uh, about it being a great movie. And that's when I was just like, all right, this is enough things telling me I need to see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, overall, um, uh, yeah, I really like them both. I don't know if I if it's fair to say that I watch more 
of those types of movies than you guys do or not. But um, I do know that, yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. It's, uh, it's pretty good. Uh, they're, they're both really good. Um, they're not like, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess we can, we can get into it when we talk about it, but overall I would say I'm not entirely sure why it's got such a perfect score, but, um, but it is definitely good. I think it's entirely cool for you to say that you watch more of these types of movies than the other two of us. I don't uh, know. I mean, Gil's got kids now. Yeah, but I, I tend to watch uh, older ones more so. Okay. Um, but uh, like, you know, Disney and Pixar and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, but what is it on Rotten Tomatoes? So the the first one, because on, on Metacritic, they're a bit more reasonable. First one is 77. And uh, and out the second what, one is out of 100. So it's like 7.7. And, uh, and it's 88. Um, for the second one, so 88 is a stellar score for uh, oh. for on, on on meta like critic like that's very very high. Um, yes, and then on on Rotten Tomatoes, which is more forgiving, is 97 percent for the first one, and this and the second one is 99. Jeez, um, 90s anything in the 90s is crazy good for Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, exactly. So, and and, and I kind of agree with your friend. I, I do think that the first one is better. Me too. Yeah. Uh, the second one is a classic sequel. It's it's it's. I actually wouldn't say that it's necessarily bigger. There's like it seems like there's a bigger cast because they have the um, the, the whole tech, uh, the neighborhood, the cast, the neighborhood. Like there's the whole cast and the and the jail sequences. Yes. And people really like jails. Also, I think wasn't it like um, uh, Toy Story three or something was a jail. They did um, have a jail sequence. In sequence, and, and that was like the the best reviewed toy, better than the first and the second one. Like so there's well, this it was thing. Definitely with a better movie than the first two. Really, was it? I, I didn't so. think. I thought it was okay, but but I it's think Toy okay. Story three was incredible. See, I, I think people have a thing with jails, <laughs> jails and mental <laughs> asylums. They just really sell, but to the critic crowd. Um, I, I don't know, like, uh, but but in any case, um, but yes, uh, it, it's it is strange, and um, and like everybody's response to it, it's it's very charming, and it's and it's uh, doesn't hit too many false notes, and I wonder if it's just function of how those uh, review websites get to a score, because if you have a charming movie, say like this is not as good as The Prince's Bride, but but something along those lines where there's very little to hate. Uh, it's all just very cute, very charming, but not too cute. Like it strikes just the right balance. It's tough to find a critic that would hate it, you know, unless like he's cold blooded or something. So, so maybe it's just a function of that. But, but let's face it. I mean, it, this the, we know that these movies are not all time greats. Not even, but at least four or five Pixar movies I would put in front of this one. Oh, well, so. yeah, we could talk about that in depth yeah, as well. Yeah. Well, I would like to put myself like in the top five most cold-hearted assholes that you can think of um okay <laughs> i i don't know uh, uh, trying to name cold-hearted assholes in front of me like just yeah you know, just do it i don't know uh but <laughs> uh paddington one was as far as I could tell, like something that I could enjoy as an adult, but I needed to disconnect myself being an adult and actually watch it and just kind of objectively say like, oh, ha, you know, they've got this whole bit where they're saying that no British explorer went to Peru. I mean, like the Lost City of Z was all about a an explorer that went to Brazil. I, I mean, it's not that far away from Peru. It, I mean, it's a little bit of a trek, but you know, <laughs> come on, you know, like you're we're all supposed to believe that they didn't go to Peru at any point in the 21st century. Yeah, no, doesn't make sense. You know, but 20th century, no. <laughs> 21st century. 
No, no, no. It's set in the 21st century. <laughs> oh, really? I mean, like the um, oh, but but when when the explorer first goes there, I think it's like earlier, no? Yeah, no. I mean, that's in the 20th century. But I mean, the century. I, I mean, a like lost the, city of Z. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah, the lost city of Z was set in Brazil in you know like 1800s or something, and oh. yeah. <laughs> We're supposed to believe that it's the 21st century and nobody has ever gone to Peru. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny that you bring that up because when the first one started and they're doing the, the black and white documentary footage, I actually did think a little bit about Lost City of Z. Yeah, which is, by the way, a really good fucking movie. If anybody hasn't watched that, go. Yeah, I need to watch it. Uh, I'm just not convinced by Ad Astra that that guy is really that good <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, i i uh you might not like it then because i thought ad astra was about as good Are you really I, yeah i mean ad astra wasn't well, bad it was just wasn't good like it just I, wasn't okay. stellar i think ad astra had a stronger ending um they they're, they're almost the same ending but like i think it was just i don't know uh i don't want to get too into it but i'm just saying like yeah. the for me lost city of z was pretty much good throughout and he got to the end, and I was like, oh, wow, that really, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And then whereas, like, at Astro, I was just kind of, like, amazed by what I was seeing, but not really into the story that much until it got to the end. And then that whole thing at the end with the, the whole sequence at the end with the father and everything like that, I was just like, damn, now oh, this, like, hammered the whole movie home for me. You know, like that's I love that movie because of the end. So, like, I don't know how that really plays out, but I'm just saying the uh, the what the Z one is the better ending. No, or, no, no. I well, personally, I think Ad Astra has a, a stronger, a better ending. ending, stronger ending. Okay, but I don't know. I mean, don't take my word for it. You should at least check it out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, okay, we're we're digressing, but I will just say that Lost City of Z and Ad Astra, as far as I'm concerned, just me. Two of the top twenty best movies of the last decade. Well, right. I'll give it a shot. High <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, praise. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I I felt like the first Paddington got into it. It, it got a little bit too far into the antics of a kids' movie there was too much unbelievability in it. Uh, I, I mean, obviously you're, you're already dealing with a talking bear. So, you know, you know, willing suspension of disbelief is already covered, but so like, you know, you had a lot of pluses, like, I mean, Nicole Kidman, I, yeah, I mean, she's great. I, I don't know if it's always great. <laughs> I don't know if Nicole Kidman is ever going to stop being freaking hot, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she was great in that movie. Uh, you know, the geez, what's his face? Hugh uh, Bonneville, the the uh, oh, the, the guy, Mr. Mr. Brown. Oh, the um, Mr. Henry Brown. Yeah, Mr. Brown. He was really good. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, especially the first one has very uh, nuanced performance. Yeah, I, I love Sally Hawkins, uh, Jim, Jim Broadbent. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's it's just packed with talent and people who really, you know, it, it's actually kind of, in a way, Christopher Nolan level. <laughs> wow, I don't know about that, the, but okay. When it comes <laughs> to... Actors, when it comes oh, to the oh, 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 okay. <laughs> in that, you know, they're going into this weird world and they're playing it like real people. Yeah, no, no, for sure. I, um, I was, I wasn't sure if I should save this for like the spoilers part because it's not really spoilers, but, but you do see touches like you're watching that movie and you do see touches of, um, it was like a lot of, uh, sophisticated uh, tracking shots and, yeah. uh, and then use of like miniature, the house miniature and stuff, a lot of really creative stuff. in the first one then, in the, and they did some interesting new things in the second one, but, but I felt like some of the, 
the uniqueness of the first one was lost on the second, even with plot points too, which we can get into with the spoilers. But but yeah, you definitely see that there's that it's a movie that people care. Like it really felt like some they were pulling some like Wes Anderson Kubrick style, like uh, you know framing and and tracking shots. Um, there's like a there's like some Chaplin and and Buster Keaton references in there as well. Um, like in um, you know it's like a, a I think on the second one there's like a chase with a train which is very reminiscent of like uh, you know Buster Keaton the the general which I recently the, the just Chaplin watched. Uh, homage was great. Yeah, and there's the Chaplin thing too. What was that one? I, I, the when he's going through the gears. The gears, yeah, exactly. So you um, definitely see that these are like people who are like modern times. I can't remember. Yeah, modern times. Yeah, I wrote Chaplin reference, but I didn't know what that was, as if I thought I was going to remember. But in any case, <laughs> it's uh, uh, but that's why there's three of us. But in any case, you see that these are people who are students of film, and they really care, and they kind of put all their heart and soul into it. Um, and and, uh, and it's not lacking in the second one. It's just that it's not as uh, inventive or, or unique or as fresh as the first one. I felt, but they they still did a good job. It's to me, it's more of the some of the plotting and other issues, and, and I was also surprised like some laugh out loud moments, like uh, like I, I and I don't laugh when I watch movies on my own very much. So the fact that I was like chuckled a few times, I was like, oh, this is uh, this is pretty good. Um, wait, 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 hold on, hold on a second. We're we're reviewing two uh, very highly rated family films. For this podcast, you have two children and a wife, and you watched these alone. Yeah, because we just recently moved, so there was no way for us to. I don't even have like anything set up, so I'm not trying just, to criticize. I just yeah, yeah. Out. But eventually, eventually, they'll definitely. I'll watch it with them because it's definitely worthwhile for them to see it. It was just it was not possible. But uh, if anything, I was testing the waters for them. <laughs> but in any case, it's uh, yeah. So so I have to say, I, I do think that overall the first one is just more charming uh, and less repetitive than the second one. Uh, I do wonder what is it about the second one that really like captured everybody. If is it the jail, the whole do people just like jail sequences. I <laughs> uh, <laughs> totally. That's got to be it. It's like Toy Story 3. Um, but other than that, you know, they're both decent entertainment. And uh, and you definitely see that there's a lot of love that goes into it. It's They're very cinematic. And um, and they hit just the right note. As far as rating them, I I, I think I would give them like an 8 and a 7. I, I, I almost would borderline. It would be tough for me to give it a 9 and an 8. Because then I'll be agreeing with all the critics that these are like all-time great movies. But I would say 8... For the first one, because it was above average, you know, kids movies, uh, movie. But then the second one, I like a notch down. Like I would, I would borderline give it an eight, like a, a low eight. For the first one, I would probably give it like a seven and a half. And uh, uh, sorry, for the first one, I would give it a seven, uh, a seven and a half. The second one, I would say an eight and a half, and I am going to give you a very specific scene that is not prison related. <laughs> that's good. It's important. That's that's what I need. I absolutely during the during the, uh, during the later part or right now. There's a danger of it being a spoiler, so okay. I'm going to say that. That's I what think the second part is for. Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned. Think, yeah, but there's one scene in Paddington 2 that had me busting up laughing. <laughs> and yeah, but I mean, that's not a reason to give it a high well, rating. Maybe but, it's but that let's funny. See. Yeah, maybe it's that good. Yeah. There, 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 there are a few reasons, but yeah, uh, I I give Paddington 2 a higher rating, but... Okay, cool. That's, that's good. That's good to... Go for it. I... I'm kind of struggling to decide exactly where to put it, but I can tell you right around where it'd be. It's right where you guys are saying too. Paddington, I think is it the first one is at least a 7.5. I kind of want to give it an eight, but I don't know. It's just, it's right around in that area. And then Paddington 2 is very good too. It's just one notch below that, maybe like a 6.5. And uh, I just want to say when I'm saying that, 
I think it's important to note that uh, we're talking about rating these movies just as a sense of comparison. I personally just got done watching this movie, uh, the second one that is. And as with all streaming services these days, for the most part, you get done and then like the movie's like, here's some suggestions for you based on what you just watched. <laughs> and I like scrolled down just because there was pictures and I was like, Hey, what's this? And I go down and I scrolled through like 20 different movie, uh, you know, suggestions that it had there, which are obviously air quotes, family films. And I was like, Ooh, just like cringing because, you know, let's face it. Family movies, family films are generally kind of dreck outside of like Disney classic <laughs> movies and like um you know like pixar stuff you know but uh with the few exceptions like i don't know why um i'm not sure which how to train your dragon movies that uh matt saw but those are exceptionally better than most of the stuff dreamworks makes but um anyway um <laughs> okay the, uh j just to give you like a point of comparison like i'm sitting here scrolling through this and it's like i'm just like oh trash trash saw five minutes of that i would never go back to it then out of like 20 movies there was like suggestions like where the wild things are which i thought was a very good movie and there was like the scorsese movie hugo which i thought did not belong in that list of movies for families because yeah, that's close. actually my yeah. my my sister-in-law and brother both said that that's like when they saw that movie they were surprised because they were like wow this is really not a kid's movie at all it just happens to have kids in it but there's like some kind of creepy stuff with the automaton and stuff like that. It's just not really for kids. And I was like, yeah, I know. It's like just a regular movie. It's not meant for kids. <laughs> when it comes to uh, uh, how to train your dragon, I mean, geez, having the lead antagonist. Uh, oh, a dragon bit my arm off. So I'm really angry about dragons so i'm going to use dragons to w wage war against humanity how dare you i i mean oh and that's uh that's the whole ahab thing <laughs> in a way you're talking about how to train your dragon 2 which is the best of the three how to train your dragon movies oh really and I by the I way to see the sequel i only saw the first one. Oh yeah the first one's by far the weakest it's not really? terrible. I liked it a lot actually i, I was I pleasantly it. surprised don't, don't get me wrong i liked how to train your dragon i think it's a six for sure. Maybe even 6.5, like as good as Paddington 2. But uh, How to Train Your Dragon 2 steps it up big time. The only problem with How to Train Your Dragon 2 is that they did not get real enough at the end. They should have gotten a little more mature with the ending. And then How to Train Your Dragon 3 is not as good as 2. But if you've seen the first two and you make it all the way through the third one, I, I, I don't... I mean, it's pretty emotional. It's pretty, pretty solid ending for the whole story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess I need to watch it. <laughs> I think when it comes to, to um, when it comes to DreamWorks, I think the first Kung Fu Panda movie is like their best thing they've made. And the second one was all right. And the, the three How to Train Your Dragon ones are pretty good. Other than that, they're kind of like always lagging way behind Disney and Pixar. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I I've actually my kids watched this um, show on Netflix that's based on How to Train Your Dragon. It's about this like rescue crew that that flies on dragons and stuff. But I, I can't convince them to watch the actual movies, <laughs> even though wow. they're like obsessed with the show. So I think eventually, once I I'll show it to them, I'll, I'll see if I can see all three huh. of those. Um, in anywho, um, Shrek three is better than any How to Train Your Dragon movie. Say Shrek three. Yeah, I don't even really remember liking Shrek three that much. I don't remember two liking Wars. two a lot. I, I like it, but it's still better. <laughs> uh, <anyway. laughs> okay, well, uh, I mean, we're the <laughs> This is not an episode about DreamWorks and their animation <laughs> endeavors. Okay, uh, but in any case. Um, yeah, no, so, but it's good that we go into, like, the whole kids' movies, because it is true that there's, like, a balance to strike, and I, I do feel like these movies really strike a good, a very rare balance, like you said, because they either could be too schmaltzy or yeah. um, bad. Like, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough to appeal, like, to, to be sophisticated, smart, 
um, you know, have heart, but be enjoyable for kids. Um, it's very tough to pull that off. So we are in the um, the spoiler. Well, I've never yeah, seen yeah. anything else that Paul King has done, so I can't really rate his movies at all. Oh no, yeah. not that. Yeah, but but uh, but yeah. So spoilers. Uh, do you want to start with your uh, scene? Yeah. <laughs> in Paddington Two, when they're going into Hugh Grant's attic while he's out, Sally Hawkins you know, sees that there's like an indent in the carpet. Yes. So she's opening up the attic and there's that whole dialogue between she and the husband of, yes. you know, it's a secret room. It's an attic. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's a secret attic. <laughs> no, it's just an attic. <laughs> and then they finally get up into the attic and the husband looks around and sees everything that's in it. Like, holy shit, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of secret stuff in here. <laughs> I think he says he's a weirdo or something like that, doesn't he? Uh, he's a weirdo, yeah. That was very was, funny. Yeah, something along those lines. But it was just so funny having her like, it's a secret room. It's just yeah. an attic. <laughs> it was a good scene. Another really good moment in the second one was the, uh, when he, I mean, it was almost obvious, but not really. But like when he switches off the light in the prison, like yeah, in the it was a little obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, starts talking and is like, I know they're going to hear him out. But, but like the performances were just so deadpan that it, it still pulled it off. The dialogue was nice, too, because he's literally insulting their intelligence and then, um, uh, what's his name? Gleason gets to like tell him, uh, like into deadpan, not angry voice at all. He just is like, um, so you switched off the light, and he says, the <laughs> one over there is for the microphone. He says, it, it's marked microphone. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the um, another one. Uh, what, what I liked about the first one specifically that I felt like was more wiser than the second one is that I had these little, little, little touches that are almost Seinfeld-like or Kirby Enthusiasm-like. Um, I like this, the the whole thing about how um, the husband used to be like a, a biker <laughs> yeah. and had long hair and everything. And the scene when like they go into the uh, delivery on a motorcycle and then they come out and he's, he has a Volvo. Like to me, that killed me. Like I, that, that was really funny, and it's so true. Like it's so true yep. how certain parents—not all parents, but usually it's one half of the parents, like the, the ones that are like more—just uh, um, really flip. Like they just completely change once they have kids, and and I and I, I think touches like that. There's a lot of touches in the first one uh, that that has a lot of wisdom in it while being very amusing. Um, you know, the relationship between, um, like, I, I felt like the character of the neighbor, the cranky na neighbor, um, like, he's better in the first one. The second one, he kind of goes a bit too far. He's just annoying the he's entire He's like a cartoon movie. character in the second one. Yeah, and the first one, it was nuanced. It's Capaldi, because, right? Yeah, Capaldi, because he's got, like, a personality to him, and he's not all bad. And he actually, like, you know, tries to help him towards the end once he sees that. Um, yeah. That she's a she wants to like stuff him, and um, I, so I like that he um, his motivating factor. I mean, the, the I mean he um, he's really into Nicole Kidman. Yeah, and so I mean that's very understandable. I mean, like she's showing him a lot of attention, and he's kind of a he's, he looks like Peter Capaldi. So you know, I mean, I mean <laughs> anyone can forgive someone for that. <laughs> <laughs> No, so so as I'm saying, like a lot of the, where, whether it's the characterizations, I felt were more nuanced, um, or whether it's the jokes having a bit more wisdom to them, like the the, the way the house is set up in the first one. Um, there's like some touches there, like uh, story wise, like about the the tree and yeah. the leaves going and the leaves coming back, like the use of tone was very apparent how like when the when Paddington is there everything is very warm lit but then when he leaves it's like very cold yeah very like you know all, all those touches I felt like was just spot on in the first one like there's not a lot of bad notes that they hit 
Uh, it goes a bit crazy with the water and stuff, like when he messes up yeah. the the bathtub. But but you know, it's it's okay. Like it's good. It's 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 even though nothing in this movie is believable, it's believable enough to be amusing. Like you go wow. along because it's amusing enough. But I felt like the second one just had too many of those that went too far. Yeah, I I more or less agree. Um, if when I wa- when I had gotten done watching the first one, I felt like. I kind of saw what everybody else saw. I got why it was so highly rated. I think it's, um, this goes for both of them, of course, but like it, it's very British, you know, in the best possible way. (laughs) Um, and I think that it really, really nailed the tone. You know, like I remember the three of us went and saw, uh, the big friendly giant, and we were talking about how like there's not a whole lot wrong with it, but it definitely kind of suffers from tone. And that's Steven Spielberg. You know, I mean, he's like one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, you know, so it's like tone should not be overlooked. And this movie really nailed the tone, I think, in a big way. And I agree with you about the house, um, but particularly in the first one, like both movies had those nice moments where they like, they are talking about something and the camera pans into a miniature and it kind of incorporates the miniature into the storytelling in a way. And it worked okay in both movies, but um, particularly the first movie kind of makes their house a little bit of a character. Um, not, not in a perfect way, not in an awesome way, but just like you said, the, the way that they put Paddington at the very top of the house, the way that there's like a bathroom at the very top of the house and that, how that plays into all the stuff that's going to happen and everything like that. It, it's, it's pretty well thought out and in, they, they kind of have that um, Wes Anderson style, you know, um, dollhouse esque stuff going on. It was all pretty good. I liked the first one a lot. Um, I even liked the second one a lot too. Uh, but I, you were kind of talking about the stuff that didn't work for you on that one. I think that the, um, the second one suffered because uh, in the first one, it's mostly focused on Paddington and the family, the Browns, and particularly his close relationship with Sally Hawkins. They seem to have this like, you know, real close um, thing and it, it really works. In the second one, the movie starts out and when he's writing his letter to his aunt, he starts talking about the family and he goes into their, their lives. And one step at a time, it goes through all five members of the family and what they have going on in their lives. And each one of them seems to be up against either a problem or an obstacle or a challenge or something like that. And then he's like, all right, and I'm signing off. And he kind of like starts the movie. And I, I thought to myself, this is great. Like what a great way to start the sequel obviously they're going to encounter some difficulties and through the, out this film, he's going to change and or he's going to go through and affect their lives and they are going to all grow because of it. And instead what we end up with in the sequel is he ends up doing what he did in the first movie and affecting the lives of the people around him, which is what the movie's about. And that's good. But he, you more see growth and effect and change through the prisoners and the neighborhood. Whereas with the five family members, you don't really see any growth or change. You just see one little joke set up at the beginning and you see one little thing um, at the end sequence where they get to contribute in some way, shape or form. It's not really like, like just as an example, the father doesn't really do anything that she or, or experience anything that gives him more confidence. He just says to the wife at the beginning, I'm not that wild man that you knew when we were, when we were dating who could throw a baseball at the fair and win prizes and stuff like that. And then at the end, because you know, everything's online and he needs to, you know, he needs to do something and, um, you know, he grabs the little, little baseball and throws the, a really great throw. And it like, you know, uh, manages to hit the bad guy in the forehead. And it's like, that wasn't really earned. It, it's a nice little payoff, 
but yeah. it's not like the same level of character growth and development that we see in the first movie. Yeah. No, that's that's definitely one thing. Although I, I I understand that because they spend the first movie on him affecting the family, and now the family is doing a little better, still evolving in their own way, but it's their turn to help him more so, and and he's kind of expanded his reach, like to the neighborhood and the prison. Like he's part of. The I liked community. all of that. Yeah, like I it's just, just I think, like I think they literally right. set it up to be that kind of a movie. And then yeah. the payoff for each character is just kind of like, eh, okay. So yeah. the mother's been swimming a lot and she needs to dive into the water at the end. That's cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah no, no, for sure. Uh, it's uh, it's still set up, but not enough because they have too much going on. And maybe that's one of the issues. The main thing that bothered me about it is that you can't have two movies in a row where the villain is a descendant of someone from the past and they came back to want something that is theirs. That that felt like a no-no for me for a sequel. <laughs> like the fact that like uh, it was nice, it was interesting. I, I didn't catch it right away. That I kind of saw it right as she was walking down, like in the first movies. Like ah, she's the she's the daughter. Uh, but I didn't catch it up until close to that point. But then like the second movie, like he's the grandson or i don't know what like of the person a grandson of the person who had a love affair or relationship with the that that woman and um and then but he deserves this money that was hidden from his grandfather and he wants to have it it just feels like why do that like why why do it twice like is it like a shtick now like is the third one also going to be some descendant like of you know, that's. I felt like that was uh, not necessary. I didn't uh, pick up on that at all. Um, but now that you mention it, it does feel a little repetitive, uh, considering that it's not an important part of his character. A very important part of Nicole Kidman's character in the first one. Whereas he could have simply been an actor who had an interest in that lady who uh, who started that fair or whatever it was, and knew about the book. Yeah, maybe if she was an actress herself, maybe she started out as an actress something. and became yeah. a magician or something, and, but, and he heard tales, stories and stuff. And he's just a greedy person, and he and he's down on his luck. He's doing pet, you know, like commercials, um, you know, pet food commercials. So, yeah, I, I think that's sufficient. But But for some reason, they have the whole family connection thing going uh, so so yeah, I and mean, that's like a little thing that I feel like is just kind of like demotes the second one for me. And and also I don't know how you feel like about the ending. I, it's a very good happy ending. The fact that he can see his um, his aunt again, that they bring her. But I, I don't know why I felt like it was a bit too much. <laughs> like I I don't know. Um, it was probably necessary. I almost feel like that should have been in the third movie. <laughs> but you guess you never know if you have these sequels. So it's like, yeah, no, it was a good moment. I still think the the first one had a stronger ending, probably. But um, but it felt a bit too much. It was like, ah, they went there. Like that one also, I kind of saw that coming as soon as like they they were waking him up when he was yeah. recovering. Not to digress. Uh, but <laughs> totally digressing. Digress away. Okay, I'm just throwing this out there. One thing that stood out to me about these two movies, which is weird, sadly weird, being that like Paddington 2 came out in 2017, so that's five years ago. Sure. We actually have a couple of movies with these two films, uh, well, with these two movies, they were both shot digitally, with these two movies, where you actually have conflict with a main character who's actually morally good and not a Mary Sue and not, you know, like, like it, it isn't like, oh, you know, a Ray in Star Wars. Like you, you have a character who's flawed but is good, and we are still dealing with somebody 
you know, with like, you know, we have conflict, but we actually have somebody who is genuinely good. And that has become strangely rare in cinema in the last 10 years. And I dare you to prove me wrong. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, I mean, don't I don't mm-hmm. deny that it's rare. Um, I, I was going to mention something about that. Um, it's just I don't want to go too deep into this other than to say that I um, it's the kind of um, protagonist that I really enjoy. Um, and I think it's particularly beneficial for a family film where you're trying to make a good message. You know, it's like, you know why not make a movie about how people should just be polite and good to each other? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much, I think the lesson of the movie is that he's like a fish out of water, but yeah. he's against all odds. And in this very cold world, uh, he's kind of sticking to his guns and, uh, and he's affecting change all around him by having that attitude, but, it, but he's not happy go lucky. He's not annoyingly, he's just polite and friendly and, uh, and, and helpful and and that's how people should be <laughs> it's just that uh, i guess we get burned so much as people that we we just it's tough for us to keep that attitude um but one thing i was going to think like about what jason said about uh the fact that it was very british in all the good ways i was like watching this movie i was like so this is basically the british version of ted <laughs> 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 it's like you know, the American asshole bear, you know, like drinks beer. And this is like a, a British bear from Peru somehow. But uh, that's great. Um, I was going to say this is not directly connected to what you were saying, but it's kind of the same thing. Similar, I should say. I just thought uh, it's worth mentioning that it's like it's kind of goes into what Matt was saying, actually. But I don't know. I feel like. Uh, <laughs> If you're watching popular movies of the last, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out a number, like, let's say, 25 years or something, I feel like, um, at least what I see here in America and everything, I feel like you get kind of um, two prevailing visions of England and English people. You know, I mean, you get, like an overwhelming amount of period pieces where they're kind of like the colonizing villains. Mm-hmm. And you get like um, some movies where they're basically seen as like real stuffy and such. And then you get like um, Guy Ritchie movies, which are awesome, you know, but let's face it. I mean, it's not necessarily the most favorable depiction of a society, you know, when most of his movies involve criminals of some sort. I guess all I was thinking when I was watching this was like, you know, it's kind of, I'm sure on some level this was probably thought about in in the storytelling or something, maybe the books that they're based on or whatever. It's, I I think it's one of those movies that's kind of like trying to harken back to an older time to try and be a good example to kids and people in general, because you have to figure this is a story about, an outsider like Gil said um, from another country. Granted, it's also a bear, but still um, all the more for that. Um, It's somebody whose only experience with humans was extremely British and taught them to be extremely British and even left phonographs of how to be British. (laughs) So as an excuse to basically say, this bear is extremely British of the olden type, you know, the good old days, British, you know, and then he comes to, uh, you know, London and in the first movie, he's very alarmed by the fact that it's not like the little phonograph tape set, you know, everyone's not saying hello to him. Everyone's not being super polite and stuff like that. But yet he being less British than everyone else there by, by birth perseveres and, is determined to be a polite and, you know, a uh, good kind person. And in return, he's determined to integrate. Yes, he is determined to integrate and he's determined to be what his ideals, you know, uh, taught him to be and what, what he, you know, was raised as and such by his extremely British 
parent bears. And in the end, that's what wins out. You know, that's what what saves the day is that fact that, you know, you can get as specific as you want. But in the end, everyone comes to help him and everyone's lives are bettered by his presence because he is a good person. And, you know, and that spreads and so on and so forth. And in a way, I think that's kind of what the intent was, perhaps, when they were thinking about it. You know, originally was like, oh, you know, back in the day, in my day, it was like this. If we, if we had some more of that, everything would be great. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it is interesting. I find it interesting that these books were written, like, starting in the late 50s. I guess they only got around to it now. It kind of feels like... It's as if like there's just no way like a uh, an American studio would make this or something or at least American filmmakers because it's so British that uh, it's kind of like the Marvel thing. They needed to wait for the technology to get good enough and cheap enough to do an animated bear so they can do these movies very very British. You know that's like how far behind the the British cinema is is like that they're like in the early stages of like let's get an animated bear <laughs> and, uh, oh i don't know it, it could just be that like you said they were waiting for the technology and then event some other things got in the way i don't know if it, i'd say it was a matter of being behind no no not behind but the budgets are just much smaller uh, oh perhaps yeah for those movies unless you have like a built-in american audience that like you know to get someone to make this movie that's very, very British and based on a very British set of books. Um, that's it true. Was a tall, they needed it to do it on the on the cheap. I'm, I'm assuming that's what I'm uh, I'm getting at. I, I do wonder what was the budget of the of the first one. I'm not sure. I know uh, one of the things I was mentioning, my friend, after seeing the first one was I was like, you know, it might not be as photorealistic as, say, the Planet of the Apes trilogy or anything but i was like you know there's some scenes where like paddington's sleeping on a park bench and the camera gets really close to his face and i was like that's a pretty good animation actually you know like it looks pretty good at parts you know i mean it looks at least as good as the uh the the recent tarzan movie that got a lot of flack for its um less than stellar cgi apes the uh the budget for the first paddington movie was 50 million dollars Oh, I, I saw 55 on IMDb. Uh, the second one it says 40, so it's actually it's actually surprising that they they went down on the budget for the second one. That's yeah, uh, weird. But uh, but they probably because they had all the uh, they've already developed the bear and all the animation. It's just a matter of making it move now. <laughs> Maybe. <knows? laughs> um, but but yeah, no. I will say like the animation is very good, even though it's not. Um, photorealistic like it's it's good enough but but it's also like it's kind of funny because his face reminded me of my dog i i wonder if they <laughs> if they're doing some of that like the, the, to try and make him extremely relatable they kind of gave him like a very not a human face per se but but actually more like dog-like face because we have such an affinity to dogs um i don't know yeah, I, I don't know. It really felt to me like I was looking at my dog. Some of those like close-ups that hmm. they were doing on his face. So it's just uh, a very, very like uh, lovable. Uh, yeah, like uh, the as far as like bad animation, actually, the, his dog friend in the second one was kind of bad animation. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and incidentally, that that's a blemish on the second movie that didn't really come to my mind is that his dog friend kind of disappeared oh after, does he <laughs> after he rides him yeah like after the first third of the movie you don't hear from it you know mm. like, just not there <laughs> hmm. so yeah that, that's a that's a bit of a blemish on so what not i know we're kind of just throwing stuff out in no particular order but i was gonna say um my whole thing, like just overall with these movies, especially after seeing the first one, I kind of looked at it as like a, a really good live action family film. Because I, I think when it comes to family films, I think that for some reason we have a better track record with animation than we do with live action. Uh, well, obvious exceptions um, and everything. But uh, I, I kind of looked at it as like, I feel like its only downsides are that... Um, 
it's only faults really are that it, it's a little like not episodic but kind of repetitive it's in which is kind of what you want for this type of movie anyway but it's sort of like okay so the, it sets up a, an obstacle and he's got to go do something and, and so it's like the plot is pretty much setting up moments of physical comedy where something's going to go wrong you know and there's like him almost burning down the house and the, him and the and the father having to like break into that geography society place and with all the air tubes and everything like that and the uh the bath scene and all these various moments and each one of them it's those moments uh, I, I mean once you've accepted the fact that there's a bear of course and that everybody else accepts the fact that there's a bear the rest of those moments are the moments where things go from pretty realistic to ridiculous and you just kind of have to accept it it's like yeah it's there because that's what kids respond to is the physical comedy and it there none of them get that crazy except for the bathtub one in that sense the thing that it it uh i just felt like mentioning this because after watching it the thing that jumped into my mind i was trying to think of a movie i liked that was a live action film that was very clearly intended for a family audience that also had moments that I didn't think were incredible, but overall liked. Uh, and the one I came up with was um, the Brendan Fraser movie, George of the Jungle, because it's one, it's a movie I've always loved. And it, like the Paddington movie, it has a couple of moments where I cringe and go like, Ugh, okay. But overall it's got a lot of heart and it's like got the right tone and it's very fun and funny and kids like it and and adults can find a lot to like in it and stuff like that. That was my overall take of the of the movie is that you just you go into it knowing what you're going into, you know, as an adult, you know that you're going into a family friendly movie. I, I think they're they're both pretty darn good. Just to clarify, I do not have as much experience watching quote-unquote kid-friendly movies that you do. My impression of good kid movies are the movies that manage to slide in the adult innuendo in a way that we don't... in a way that kids don't get it. Right. <laughs> I, I I mean, it, it's, it's just kind of like the... I mean, like thinking about uh, being a 10 year old and watching the Simpsons yeah, or King of the Hill or something like that, where, you know, they, they tell a joke and it's about like global warming or some shit like that. And I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. It's kind of like a ha ha moment for me as a 10 year old. And then suddenly I watch it. Holy fuck, I'm going to be 37 in a month. Uh, <laughs> I watch it again as a 37-year-old, and I'm breaking down laughing because of how funny it is. <laughs> right. Uh, and it, I, I think that's what the Paddington movies managed to do, was kind of temper that uh, temper that line. Really, yeah. you know, like you know, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm 36. <laughs> Holy crap, that's funny. Uh, I could show it to a six-year-old, and you know, I, I would get a chuckle, but that that kid wouldn't understand what the hell what was go, what the hell was going on. Uh, it, it, you know, they they have the physical comedy, but if you have the greater context, if you're an adult, you actually get it better. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. Kick the yeah. shit out of everything that I just said. No, no, I think overall, I, I think we, we agree that there's something um, like, these are not all time greats for sure. That's uh, I think been established, but, but yeah, like above average, Especially, I feel like the first one I said, there's like moments of wisdom. And, and uh, even if you're a teenager, you can watch that movie and there's like stuff that's going on with the teenagers there that's relatable. Like everybody can relate to like whatever generation, you know, um, yeah. is is on screen at the time. And all, and all can be affected by the whole idea of Paddington being this, you know, 
a force of good, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though that, and that's the irony, he's a force of good, but he's a menace, like as far as safety is concerned. So, <laughs> you know, that's also kind of clever how they go about that. Like he is just really bad at like, you know, doing anything uh, in a, in a very careful naive. way. He's very naive and he's very clumsy. Yes. But all that aside, he's a force for good. Like he's definitely a good influence on in people around him. And um, and that's what's uh, also interesting about it that there it's not just one note. It's complex. Like I think that's the I think that's my takeaway is that these movies are well thought out and and maybe that's from the books too, like good source material. But like it's it's all very nuanced. The characters are nuanced and that's just good stuff and it's enjoyable. And, and yes, I probably wouldn't watch this movie if I didn't watch it with my kids or watch it for this podcast. I would look for one of those opportunities. But once I do watch it, I would say like, oh, yeah, that's like above average. But but definitely not one of the best reviewed movies of all time. That's just a flaw in those websites, yeah. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that there is a real value in promoting movies with a pro- with a protagonist that has a serious moral core somebody who is actually a, 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 an exemplar of moral truth like somebody yeah. who and Paddington for all of his faults never does anything that's wrong morally he just makes mistakes you know he's trying to navigate the world with the best possible intentions and i think that we're in an artistic space now which is kind of horrifying uh i i mean wandavision was entirely based upon the protagonist kind of having a really fucked up view of you know, like how to construct a society. <laughs> you know, we, we are in a tough spot now. And I think it's actually good that we look at certain movies like this and see a protagonist and, you know, we can say, holy crap, this is, a good moral character with flaws, but it's still a good moral character. And this person, this thing, this creature is trying his or her best to navigate the world in which we live. And I, I, I think there's a dearth of that at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I think the, the that's a good point. Like I and I think maybe that also plays into what made these uh, movies so affecting is that because there's a shortage of that, it was like a breath of fresh air, and people just responded to it in that way. So so yeah, it's probably a confluence of things. Whether it's the um, the cinematic effort that went into it, like the was very very thoughtful, and uh, and then combined with all those other elements, like made for a sort of like a perfect storm, at least as far as the reviews are concerned. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm glad I saw it, and I'll definitely show it to my kids. I, I think they'll like it, uh, and um, maybe someday I'll also convince them to watch uh, How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I agree with what Matt just said. I don't think that he used the the best example because I think there's plenty of other movies that are a better example of that problem. But um, but yeah, that's true. I I I I, I do not have a dearth of examples. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, pretty much everything in the Marvel universe you can point to and say you know like oh the one division that i haven't what, seen what on stuff. earth are you talking about 
you you brought i mean i don't get me wrong i i get why you brought up wandavision i i think that you're looking at it too simplistically um but then you just said everything else i think i said everything else i think i said almost almost uh, everything else like what he likes generalizing about Disney stuff. I, he definitely does. Disney <laughs> and Marvel. He's just got it out. Especially, especially Marvel. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs>